As more and more foreign nationals pour across the southern border of the United States illegally, the Biden administration has to figure out what to do with the children who are coming into the United States. And so to deal with this situation, as the Washington Post tells us yesterday, the first migrant facility for children opens under Biden. The first migrant facility, that sounds sort of nice, doesn't it? It's a nice facility. Is it sort of like the Four Seasons? Is it, uh, oh no, it's a bunch of cages. It's the cages that that Joe Biden said was a human rights abuse. Uh, Those are now being reopened under Joe Biden, but it's perfectly fine. They're the, they're a, it's a Biden box. It's the it's a special metallic hotel. Just don't call it a cage. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Tim the Enchanter, who says, let me get, let me get this straight. We must respect the dignity of boys who want to win by pretending to be girls but the dignity of, of the girls against whom they compete is not part of the equation. That's right. That's right. Because the, the reason that we need to let boys into the girls room and let boys beat women at track meets and things like that is in the name of inclusion. And so if you are being inclusive, if you are being tolerant, that means you got to bring everybody in. And it also means that you can't be inclusive of people who are not inclusive. It means you can't be tolerant of people who are intolerant. And those poor little girls who just want to win their college scholarships, they are being very exclusive and intolerant. So we can't care about what they think. We've got to let the boys beat them at the high school sports. You know, when I think about the difference between men and women, I think about their different health needs and uh, for a lot of guys, you got to check out Hims. Forhims.com is all about men's wellness. Do you need help with ED, hair loss, or have a cold? Interested in mental health or COVID-19 home tests? Hims is here for you. Through Hims, you can get the prescription medication that treats ED. Real science, real solutions to ED. You get the same active ingredient as that expensive little pill, but without the expensive price tag. This could cost hundreds of dollars if you had to go through a doctor or pharmacy. Hims makes it simple and affordable. No embarrassing conversations, no expensive appointments. Just answer a few questions online about your medical history and a provider will confidentially review. I know a lot of guys don't want to talk about this sort of thing, but if you are encountering this issue, which is very widespread, there's a simple solution. Don't uh, hold yourself off from that. Uh, there is now a very simple way to do that. Try Hims today by starting out with a free online visit. Go to forhims.com slash Michael for your free visit. That is forhims.com slash Michael, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash Michael. Prescription products are subject to medical provider approval and require an online consultation with a medical provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. Remember that is forhims.com slash Michael. Go check out Hims today. Migrant facility. Dozens of migrant teens boarded vans Monday for the trip down a dusty road to a former man camp for oil field workers here. The first migrant child facility opened under the Biden administration. The facility is being reactivated to hold up to 700 children ages 13 through 17. Okay, this is interesting. I don't know much about this facility. Uh, Then a few paragraphs down, but immigration lawyers and advocates question why the Biden administration would choose to reopen a Trump era facility that was the source of protests and controversy. Oh, it's the cages. It's the cages, right. But when it was 
Donald Trump opening these facilities and using these facilities, it was truly, people were calling it a crime against humanity. The Trump administration said, what are we going to do with the kids? We don't know where else to put them. You're not going to put them in jail. You're not going to put the, a lot of them are unaccompanied where you've got to put them in a facility. You can't just let them go free into the country. Now Biden does it perfectly fine. Nothing to see here. Democracy dies in darkness. Jen Psaki, our favorite current White House press secretary, was just asked about this. Didn't have a great answer. Why is the Biden administration reopening a temporary facility for migrant children in Texas? Well, um, first, uh, the policy of this administration, as you all know, but just for others, is not to expel unaccompanied children who arrive at the border. Uh, and the process, how it works, is that uh, Customs and Border Control uh, con uh, continue to transfer unaccompanied children to the HHS Office of Refugee Resettlement. That can take a couple of days. I just want to give this context because so people need to understand the process. But because of COVID-19 protocols, uh, the like social distancing requirements, the capacity of existing Office of Refugee Resettlement shelters has been significantly reduced because, of course, you can't have a child in every bed. Um, there needs to be spacing, and we abide by those spacing to protect the kids um, who are um, living in those facilities for a short period of time. And to ensure the health and safety of these kids, HHS took steps to open an emergency facility to add capacity where these children can be provided the care they need while they are safely, before they are safely placed with families and sponsors. So it's a temporary reopening during COVID-19. Our intention is very much to close it. Okay, I don't have any more time <laughs> to keep listening to this long-winded answer. D does Jen Psaki ever intend to address the question? The question is, why are you putting kids in cages after you campaigned against putting kids in cages? And she says, well, uh, because uh, it's temporary and um, because the coronavirus and, uh, you know, the, and I'm going to get, I'm going to get to it. Uh, and the migrants and, you know, and, and it's, and the, did I mention COVID? But no, I'm going to get to your question. So Peter Ducey, to his credit, he uh, says, lady, this ain't an answer. <laughs> Come on. You said, you said these were human rights abuses. How can you now with a straight face put kids right back in the exact same facilities that you called cages. It's the same facility that was open for a month in the Trump administration, summer 2019. That is when Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages. And Kamala Harris said, uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? We very much feel that way. Uh, and so the, these are facilities, let me, be, let me be clear here. One, there's a pandemic going on. I'm sure you're not suggesting that we have children right next to each other uh, in ways that are not COVID safe. <laughs> I, I, look, okay, I grant, I grant that it is a human rights abuse what we're doing right now. Yeah, Kamala Harris is totally right. We very, oh yeah, we totally agree with Kamala Harris. Yeah, what we're doing is a violation of human rights because we're putting babies in cages but what's the alternative? I expose them to a virus that they're statistically, uh, it's basically impossible for them to have any consequences from? W hold on. You're telling me, <laughs> you're telling me you would rather expose children to a cough than put babies in cages? Oh, are you a monster? Come on, we have to make hard choices. It's very clear that the, the there is a virus going on statistically, uh, no children have trouble with this virus. Uh, but that means that we've got to put the kids in the cages. I don't think so. Brings us back to a point that President Trump made during the campaign. 
This is another one going to be memory hold. This is another one. Put a little bookmark before they take this one off of YouTube. Donald Trump, it was one of the most memorable lines of an otherwise sort of awful debate when Joe Biden was rambling on about the stupid concept that you're putting kids in cages. Joe Biden attacks Trump for it. Donald Trump says, who built the cages, Joe? They got separated from their parents. And it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. Let me ask you a follow-up question. They did it. We changed the policy. Your response they to did that? It. We, we changed. did not. They built the cages. The, they, who, who built the cages, let's, Joe? Let's talk about what who we're talking about. Who built the cages, Joe? Let's talk about what we're talking about. Who built the cages, Joe? You know, we were told that Joe Biden was going to be a return to normalcy. And I guess it is because not only is Joe Biden acting like a an utter hypocrite here, right? He campaigns against kids in cages, which is not exactly what it is, right? It's, I actually sort of agree with the Washington Post today. It is a temporary facility to put migrant children, but it, it was also a temporary facility to put migrant children when Trump did it. But what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So not only is, is Biden hypocritical now, but it was Obama and Biden who first started this policy. As Donald Trump pointed out very well, AOC even, is siding with the Republicans here against the protestations of Jen Psaki, Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris. She says, this is not okay, never has been okay, never will be okay, no matter the administration or party. So at least she's coming out. She sort of has to come out, right? If she doesn't come out and say what the Biden administration is doing is wrong, then she's just a complete fraud. Now she's not exactly going too hard here. What is it? One tweet about a Washington Post article? She's not actually going to hold members of her party to any account. So I think she is still sort of a fraud, but even she has to come out and say, man, Biden, can't you make this a little easier for us to defend you? Because your policy is the exact same thing as Donald Trump's. By the way, that is not the only area where Democrats are doing exactly the same thing that they're accusing Republicans of. There is a, a clip that was just unearthed from David Letterman's old late show where Joe Biden, many, many years ago, when he could still form a coherent English sentence, went on the show and, and described, I kid you not, he described being arrested for breaking into the Capitol. Would you call it, a, I don't know, a, an insurrection? I don't know. But, but Joe Biden claims to have been arrested for the exact same thing that the crazy guy with the face paint and the horns was arrested for on January 6th. What was that like, uh, walking into the great Senate chamber at 29 years old? You know, I walked in when I was 21, and I got arrested. I was a, it was a Saturday. I was down visiting some friends at Georgetown University. And uh, I came up on a Saturday morning because I was fascinated with the Senate. And they had a Saturday session. I walked up those days, no guards stopping everywhere. And, I, and they just got out of session. I walked in the back. All of a sudden, I found myself in the chamber, and I was stunned. I walked up, sat down in the presiding officer's seat guy grabbed me by the shoulder, said, you're under arrest. What a classic Joe Biden story. Did that actually happen? Probably not. Like most Joe Biden stories, he is probably the most notorious liar in American politics. That's why he had to drop out of the 1988 presidential election. But this is a, an inconvenient, probable lie for Joe Biden because he's claiming to do exactly what we are now told was the worst insurrection in American history and the m most calamitous thing that's ever happened in our country. Joe Biden is saying, yo, I did that when I was 21. Yeah, I got arrested for it too. <laughs> but now I'm old smiling Joe. Now I'm a senator. 
even, you know, AOC is not the only member of her party who is breaking with rank on this issue of the migrant children and Joe Biden being a total hypocrite. Naomi Wolf, one of the most famous feminists in the entire country, just recently went on uh, Tucker Carlson's show also to break with her fellow travelers, not on the issue of the lockdown or not on the issue rather of the, the migrant facilities, but on the issue of these lockdowns, this much, much broader issue going on around the country. And I think you're going to see this more and more. You're going to see people who other call them feminists, maybe they're members of some other activist group on the left, Democrats, who say, hold on, we can't continue to do this forever. We've been slowing the spread for a very long time now. Now, is, are these sort of breakaways enough to take away Joe Biden's power? I don't think so. I think it's going to be all sort of soft pushback, the sort of thing where AOC sends a tweet about a Washington Post article that she doesn't like. But you, you will start to see that build, and that could have an effect maybe in the 2022 election, maybe even in the 2024 election, because things are going to continue to get more and more tense. And you know, when things are really tense, uh, one investment that I always like to make is in physical gold. I like investing in uh, precious metals. The price of gold has been skyrocketing lately. Now there is a new way to buy gold through a company called Acre. One of the issues with investing in physical gold is that gold is expensive, right? So, you know, unless you have zillions of dollars lying around the couch, uh, a lot of people feel that they can't invest in physical gold. Well, Acre has figured out this ingenious way to do it. They will let you subscribe to gold bars for as little as $30 a month. You pay each month once your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, they will discreetly ship Acre Gold to your house. Just recently, Acre has introduced a new $100 a month prescription to their 5-gram gold bar. Also, check this out. You know there's a nationwide ammo shortage? Well, Acre is crafting a solid gold 24-karat 9-millimeter bullet that you can buy right now. Now, you cannot find anything like this on the market. I guess I should say, you shouldn't shoot the bullet one. That would be a very expensive round. And unless you're killing a werewolf, there's really no, no purpose to that. Uh, but it's a very, very cool product. Visit getacregold.com slash Michael. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure that you go to this URL because Acre is giving away a gold bar. To qualify for the giveaway, tweet or post why you should be the recipient. Mention at get underscore Acre. That's getacregold.com slash Michael. Thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. Naomi Wolf goes on Tucker's show and says enough is enough with the lockdowns autocratic tyrants at the state and now the, the national level are, are creating a kind of merger of corporate power and government power, which is really characteristic of Italian fascism in the 20s. Um, and they're, they're using that to engage in kind of emergency orders that, that simply strip us of our rights, rights to property, rights to assembly, rights to worship, and all of the rights that our constitution guarantees. So people are definitely horrified and noticing. I think people are shocked and, um, and, and divided, as I mentioned before. And the other thing that happened is you said this has all been very sudden. Um, and when you look back, you know, March of 2020, a lot of things started to move that kind of locked into place a set of policies that are kind of 360 degree full-on totalitarian policies. So I think a lot of us are kind of in culture shock. Uh, luckily or unluckily, I've been studying closing democracies for 12 years. So I recognized early on, you know, once, once I realized New York State had emergency powers, I know from history that no one gives up emergency powers willingly. That's right. Now, I have a sort of grudging respect for Naomi Wolf, and, and not just because she went on Tucker's show and 
said she doesn't like Dr. Fauci or something. I've actually thought this for a while because I disagree with most of what Naomi Wolf thinks. I think most conservatives would. But the thing I always liked about her is at least she's following the arguments honestly by the lights that she's got. So for instance, this quote got her into a lot of trouble on the left. Uh, On the issue of abortion, she's pro-abortion, but she also admits that it's murder. (laughs) Pretty, pretty ghastly stuff. But I actually have greater respect for someone who can say, yeah, I support abortion, but I'm not going to use mealy mouthed words like reproductive rights or women's health or, you know, any, anything else. I'm going to deal with the fact that, yeah, this is a, a, a grave moral issue. And I just think that women's convenience needs to trump the life of the unborn child. She said, quote, abortion should be legal. It is sometimes even necessary. Uh, don't agree with either of those things, obviously. Uh, sometimes the mother must be able to, the, to decide that the fetus in its full humanity must die. The people who got angry at her for that quote were not conservatives. They were left-wingers who said, stop being so honest. (laughs) Don't tell them what we actually think about this issue. Don't tell them the reality of it. But I think that she's getting the reality of the lockdowns quite right. It's just a, a simple law of politics that politicians very rarely are willing to give up emergency powers. You think of, I don't know, Cincinnatus, George Washington, handful of examples throughout history, not too many. More and more what they do is they just keep those emergency powers and add on to them. And that's what we're seeing here. Dr. Fauci, the exalted one, Dr. Fauci, just came on television after telling us, yeah, you're going to have to wear masks into 2022. You're going to have to, until the virus goes down below zero, you're going to have to wear masks. Now he's telling us that he's going to get, maybe he's going to give us a few of our rights and liberties back, but uh, not too many. And there's just There's certain things that we're not going to be able to to do, like, for instance, go to restaurants. There will be things that you will not be able to do because the burden of virus in society will be very high, which it is right now. Even though we're going way down on the decline that Dr. Walensky showed you, we are still at an unacceptably high baseline level, with the seven-day average being quite high. So there are things, even if you're vaccinated, that you're not gonna be able to do in society. For example, indoor dining, theaters, places where people congregate, that's because of the safety of society. You yourself, what you can do when you are together with another person, we are looking at that. And we're gonna try and find out very quickly what recommendations could be made about what people can do. There are some things that you're just not going to be able to do, says who? Says Dr. Fauci. Some things that you're not going to be able to do, go, indoor dining, going to movie theaters, the theater broadly, or going to places where people congregate. So the things that you're not going to be able to do include everything. Everything that people do, uh, individuals, I guess, can stay home and maybe read a book, <laughs> as long as it's an approved book, by the way, increasingly in our, in our uh, censorship regime. But the things that people do, you know, together, you're just not going to be able to do that because of society. A healthy society would run this man out of the country on a rail. 
That's what a healthy society, and I'm not talking about the health of avoiding the, the Wuhan cough. I'm saying a healthy society that understands how to govern itself. But we're not a healthy society, so we let this little technocratic Napoleon come in and, and, and d- destroy our American way of life almost single-handedly. I mean, obviously politicians are in some ways encouraging him to do it and in other ways are being rolled over by him. But this guy, why does this guy get to do it? You know, hate to say I told you so, I have been on the anti-Fauci train basically from the beginning at this point. And uh, there were a lot of conservatives who said, no, we like Fauci. No, it's okay. You know, he's got good interests. Now though, basically every conservative I think realizes what the real situation is here. Even Meghan McCain, who, you know, is not, not the furthest right member of the Republican party. Meghan McCain was on the view though. And she said, Oh boy, I've had enough of this guy. It's time to fire Fauci. I am over Dr. Fauci. I think we need to have more people giving more opinions. And I, I honestly, quite frankly, I think the Biden administration should, should remove him and put someone else in place that maybe does understand science or can talk to other countries about how we can be more like these places that are doing this successfully. This is important. I mean, this is a change because for people who are to the right of Genghis Khan, such as myself, uh, we, I think we had Fauci's number from the beginning. We knew what this was all about from the beginning, but people who are a little bit more in the center, people who are a little bit more, you know, in terms of the Republican party or the conservative movement who are a little bit more on the left for them now to be turning on Fauci, I think shows the sea change. The, The problem is it, it may just be too late. The guy has got a lot of power. We're now in a sort of new normal. This has been going on for a very long time. So what do the science and data show? Well, there's a very happy story to come out of COVID. Lucia de Klerk, who is the oldest resident of a New Jersey nursing home, just beat the coronavirus after testing positive on her 105th birthday. I'm very glad to hear that for Ms. de Klerk. I'm pleased that it sounds like a happy 105th birthday indeed. This two weeks after the oldest woman in Europe, a 116-year-old nun, beat coronavirus. Now, we were told that coronavirus is basically the most dangerous epidemic we've ever faced as a society. That's why we took the unprecedented step to shut down the whole society, change everybody's behavior. When... uh, when the data started to contradict the narrative, the fear mongering that we've been told, you know, for instance, younger people basically not at a very great risk from the virus. Then we were told, well, it's just older people. If you're older than 65 or really 75 or really 85, then, then you're truly at risk. And you are at a higher risk according to the evidence we've seen. When 105 year olds and 116 year olds are beating the virus that we are told is going to kill just about anybody, certainly anybody who's a little bit up in age. I think you have to start questioning some of the narrative around the virus. I think, I mean, I love this, these photos of like a hundred five-year-old being like, what coronavirus? What are you talking? By the way, do you know what this woman, her tips for healthy living, Lucia de Klerk, are prayer, totally agree. Avoiding junk food, maybe debatable. And eating nine gin-soaked raisins each morning. My girl, a woman after my own heart. What do you think is in the leftist tears tumbler? Lo- absolutely love that. This reminds me of, uh, of the f- former oldest living World War II veteran who just died a couple years ago in Texas, who smoked 12 cigars a day. Love that guy. His, his name escapes me at the moment, but great guy. It has been 345 days 
since 15 days to slow the spread. Some of us called it at the beginning and we said, don't give them an inch on this. They're lying to you. They, one, don't know what they're talking about in terms of the virus itself, which was born out again and again. But two, they're lying to you. This is not just going to be 15 days. This is going to go on much longer. They're not going to let us return to normal if we wear the masks. Actually, the masks are probably going to serve as a symbol to prolong these sorts of lockdowns. We're now coming up on a year of 15 days to slow the spread, and we're already being promised another year of it. Maybe another year after that. How long before people wake up? You know, one great way to wake up in the morning, listen to the Ben Shapiro Show. Today he's going to be talking about looking for systemic racism in all the wrong places. And tonight we are going to be doing our backstage show, 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, we're going to be joined by all the usual gang. We're going to have stogies. We're going to have uh, booze. It's going to be a lot of fun. In other news, we've got a new show coming out this Friday featuring Mr. Ben Shapiro. There are a lot of narratives going on around a lot of hot topics. It's hard to keep track of all the newest non-troversies and controversies of the left, which is why you're going to want to tune into Debunked to see Ben expose leftist fallacies in 15 minutes or less. This show will be available exclusively to Daily Wire members. If you're not already a member, very simple, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use the code debunked to get 25% off. The reasons to join Daily Wire are piling up by the day. I'm being crushed in all of the reasons. Uh, it is an avalanche of reasons. Go use code debunked 25% off today. We'll be right back with a lot more. Some people are being, are, are describing this uh, COVID lockdown and the way it's transforming society, they're describing it as the great reset. They're describing it, and actually some prominent people, you know, I think the uh, members of the royal family in the United Kingdom have described it this way. Prime ministers and statesmen around the world have described this opportunity to reset the economy, reset society. Uh, hopefully it won't be reset along the lines of these crazy technocrat power mad losers in lab coats, but there is a, a sort of a reset happening in the sense that politics changes by the day, circumstances change, and so politics changes. And the old political consensus on the left and on the right is kind of cracking up. That's why you're seeing on the left the rise of the woke people. And on the right, you're seeing the rise of the red-pilled people, right? Those are the two euphemisms that we're using. Woke and red-pilled, they mean the same thing, right? They mean sort of waking up out of this dream state to see reality. What people are noticing is the political reality is different than what the major parties are telling you it is. And so you're going to have to adjust accordingly. And uh, the, the entire Trump candidacy, I think, was a consequence of this. Realizing that the old Republican Party wasn't really serving its constituents, wasn't really speaking to the broader GOP base. So the GOP is trying to reset now. I think the GOP is, is pretty clearly much more the party of workers and of the working class and of blue collar people than the Democratic Party. Uh, Ted Cruz has described this as the you know, difference between the party of Pittsburgh and the party of Paris. You know, when you think of the Democrats, you think of either these crazy rich kids on college campuses talking about intersectionality, or you think of John Kerry, another crazy rich kid who's flying around on private jets talking about how the sun monster is going to kill us all. So you, th you think of them, and when you think of the Republican Party, you think of those deplorable, irredeemable, MAGA-supporting, bitter, clinging rubes in the middle of the country. And so I think that, that class, class divide and kind of ge geographic divide has, has 
actually taken place. Now, how is that going to manifest in policy? The way you're seeing it manifest is that the GOP is beginning to break away from some of its, uh, what would you call it? Free market absolutism. And I think that's actually a good thing. You know, free markets are great in their place. Free markets are an instrument to human flourishing. But when you make an idol out of free markets, when you make an, when you make an idol out of money, which uh, there's a very good book that tells you not to do that, then things go haywire. It, it reminds me of what Chesterton said about vices and virtues. He said, heresy is not when you produce, when you, when you prefer vice to virtue, it's when you promote one virtue to the exclusion of all of the others. So, you know, the, there's a role for the state in our society. But when you make an idol out of the state, you get statism. That's bad. There's a role, obviously, for money, economic growth, free markets. There's a huge role for that in society. When you make an idol out of that, though, when you make that the only end of government, then you delve into a society that we're in now, which is not functioning very well, where families are crumbling, where birth, birth rates are below replacement, you know, a society that is quite literally dying. Mitt Romney has proposed an idea, which is sending direct payments to families with children. This is as a way to promote uh, growing families. Marco Rubio is trying to jump on this bandwagon. Uh, Rubio did it even less convincingly, though, I think. He said, quote, sending $200 to $350 per month per child to everyone with no work requirement, like Mitt Romney wants to do, is welfare. Being pro-family means being pro-work. Our expanded child tax credit is a far better approach, meaning you got the Romney plan, which is just send money to families. And then that way they can raise their kids and not have to limit their family size. And Rubio saying, no, you can't just send them money. We need them all to be out working all the time. But if they make enough money, we're going to give them a tax credit. And this is kind of more the traditional, you know, mid 2000s, 1990s kind of Republican thing. I actually think being pro-family is is bigger than both of those proposals. And this is going to be a really radical one. And you're probably not going to hear any Republican lawmakers proposing this, but perhaps they should. Being pro-family, having, having a society that is pro-family means having a society where only one parent needs to work. And that one parent can support the household so that the other parent can stay home and raise the family. I say this as a father now of a very newborn, cute little kid. I did not appreciate how difficult it is to keep a baby alive. I did not, for the mother, not, you know, for the father, I, what do I do? I just keep doing basically the same thing I do, uh, I've been doing for years, uh, other than maybe I'm sleeping a little bit less. But for mothers, they basically never get to sleep. They're constantly with the child. If you have more than one child, that obviously adds a lot to the workload. And then if you, if you are at home doing that sort of thing, managing a home economy is difficult and involves a lot of work. When we had growing families in this country, because I'm not, I'm not just speaking in the abstract. I'm not just speaking in some pie in the sky solution out of, out of the depths of my own reason. I'm just looking at how this used to work. When we had a growing, growing families, when we had a growing population, we had a, a thriving society families were able to be supported on the wages of just one parent. That really began to change after the Second World War, obviously into the late 20th century, to the point that now you really can't. It's very difficult to support a family on just one salary in today's economy. Now, you've got Romney, who's kind of squishy, but at least, you know, at least he's 
looking at this problem. You got Rubio who, I don't know, Rubio seems to change his political colors like by the day, but now he's trying to move into this pro-family thing. Okay. Who's going to go out there and make this actual, real, historical, practical, cultural, conservative claim that if you really want to support families, then you need to be able to support them with, with one of the parents actually raising the family. I, I don't think so. But the politician who does do that, the politician who's willing to say that uncomfortable but undeniable truth, that politician, I think, will have some serious sway in the future Republican Party. A good example of how the Republican Party needs to change and how I think it is changing at the moment. During the, the terrible weather in Texas where the power went out because it turns out windmills are not particularly efficient, the Texas power supplier, Gritty, uh, warned some of its customers. He said, look, we have these sort of strange plans that are very deregulated. They're very, you know, very market focused. So this can be helpful during good times, but during a once in a century kind of snowstorm, this is going to be really bad. The plans uh, vary the price based on the supply of energy. And when energy is more or less completely cut off in Texas, the price is going to go up through the roof. So people who normally would pay out, what, a hundred bucks or something for your energy, maybe a little less, maybe a little bit more. Some people are getting bills for thousands and thousands of dollars. Karen Cosby said that uh, her energy costs right now are $5,000 to heat a 2,700 square foot house. DeAndre Upshaw of of Dallas, said the electric bill for his 900 square foot townhouse, 900 square feet, was also $5,000. The spot prices hit $9,000 per megawatt hour. To put that into comparison, $9 per kilowatt hour. Normally that costs about seven cents. Goes up to nine thousand dollars per megawatt hour. Sometimes it can go down as low as two cents in ordinary times. So Ted Cruz, Senator from Texas, much maligned Senator from Texas. If you tune into CNN or any left-wing outlet these days, tweeted out, this is wrong. No power company should get a windfall because of a natural disaster. And Texans shouldn't get hammered by ridiculous rate increases for last week's energy debacle. State and local regulators should act swiftly to prevent this injustice. A friend of mine, I saw this on Twitter the other day, Saurabh Sharma, young conservative writer. Uh, Saurabh saw this story about the energy prices going up and he said, you know, it's only going to be a matter of time before some market obsessed sociopath says that it is bad to give people relief for their $5,000 spot energy bill. Just a few moments later, (laughs) you had these kind of market obsessed economics idolaters come out and say, we can't, you have to make DeAndre Upshaw pay the $5,000 heating bill. Otherwise you'll disturb our idol of the market. And that would be really terrible. I don't think any just society believes that people in a once in a century storm should have to pay $5,000, $10,000 to heat their home or keep the lights on when, when the windmill stopped turning. I'm not saying we throw out the free market. I'm not saying that we ignore economic considerations, but we have to realize that economics, like so many other parts of our society, is ordered towards something. That There is a higher good in our political system, which brings me to our old pal, Ron Paul. 
I want to preface this segment in which I criticize Ron Paul by saying, I generally like Ron Paul. I especially, I really liked him in 2008. But Ron Paul, he's this confounding figure because he's gotten something so much more correct than the GOP over his career. In some ways, the new Republican Party has to move toward what Ron Paul is saying. But in some ways, he's gotten some things totally wrong. He just totally misunderstands politics. And there was a clip that came out from 1988 on some rambunctious television show. You think our politics is crazy now. This show was like really raucous. And this clip shows both and it went viral yesterday. So take a listen to Ron Paul's uh, prescription for the country. Ask me why we still finance the communists. Ask me why 70% of the military budget is spent overseas. Ask me why the good airplanes are overseas and the lousy airplanes are not here in the, the lousy airplanes are in the Air National Guard. I would say clean out the State Department, spend more money on our national defense, have an anti-communist uh, uh, policy, don't sign these treaties with the Soviet, don't extend loans to the Soviet Union, and not to fight these wars with the funds we raise from the illegal drugs. So under the libertarian society, no, we don't fight Vietnam wars. We don't fight the Korean wars. We fight wars to defend we America. And we stand high, for America. Baby. We stand for freedom. We get high. Yeah. You know, you I, are, you are excuse me. Yeah. Yes, we, we get high. We get high, Mark. We get high on the ideas you of freedom. We get high because freedom and liberty is worth defending. Love that answer. Yes, we do get high on freedom. <laughs> Well, you're asking me if I'm high. Well, I'm high on life. So some things here that Ron Paul says, totally right. When he says we got to clear out the State Department, if we've learned nothing from the past four years, we know there's a ton of corruption in the State Department, in the deep state, you call it the bureaucracy, the federal blob. So absolutely, I think he's right on that. I think America did bungle a lot of its foreign policy. Ron Paul is, ask, is calling for a totally isolationist foreign policy. That seems a little extreme for my tastes. But uh, broadly speaking, I think he says a lot of smart things. Then, then he goes a little bit too far, a little bit too abstract. He ignores the practical wisdom of the American tradition for the brilliant rationalist abstractions plucked out of his own head. Yeah, let, let me answer that. Just say no. Assume the responsibility of yourself. Don't assume the government makes your decisions. You, you say no. Don't say the government. It's a tyrannical approach to solving a social medical problem, and we endorse the idea of voluntarism and self-responsibility, family, friends, and churches to solve problems, rather than saying some monolithic government is going to make you take care of yourself and be a better person. It's a preposterous notion. It never works. It never will. The government can't make you a better person. It can't make you follow good habits. Why don't they put you on a diet? You're a little overweight, and I think you'd be in better health. You're a little I actually love that woman's answer. And I think here's where Ron Paul loses me. He's talking about drug laws. He's basically saying all drugs need to be legal. And once all drugs are legal, that's going to be great. First of all, we're in the midst of the, this horrible opioid crisis where I, I know people who have died from it. I suspect you might know people or you at least know people who know people who have died from this opioid crisis. What is your evidence that legalizing all of these drugs is going to be a good thing? That, that legalizing all these drugs is going to help people to flourish or help people to enjoy their freedom? What, what Ron Paul is confusing here is liberty and licentiousness. 
he, he thinks that when you get to pursue your appetites however you want, that's what liberty is. But that's, that's not what liberty is. We talked about this yesterday. Liberty, according to Lord Acton, long venerated by, by libertarians, liberty in the conception of the founding fathers is the ability to do what you ought to do. It's the ability to do the right thing. It's not the freedom to do whatever you want and pursue your appetites. Do you think that a heroin addict is free? Do you think a heroin addict has liberty? No, a heroin addict is a slave. He has no liberty at all. He's squandered his liberty. He can't tame his passions. He can't tame his appetites. He can't master his higher faculties and pursue liberty. This is not some radical notion. We have known this since the ancient Greeks. We've known this at least since old uncle Aristotle. We've known this throughout the American political tradition. And I, I, by the way, I think the Republican approach to, yeah, do whatever you want as long as it doesn't affect me. We've already been trying that. We've tried that for decades and it hasn't worked. We've lost the entire culture by doing that. So whatever, what I'm not giving an easy answer. I'm saying whatever the future Republican party is, whatever the future of the conservative movement is, it's going to have to be different than that. It's going to have to be different than what is called neoconservatism, you know, the sort of the Bush era stuff. It's going to have to be different than the kind of radical abstractions of Ron Paul, which have in, in many ways never, first of all, never been tried anywhere because they, they're not practical ideas. They haven't worked where they have been tried. We, we maybe need to take a little bit from Ron Paul, a little bit from the libertarians, a little bit from traditional, traditional conservatives, obviously. And we need to look at what sort of society we want to have. I don't, I don't think there is a simple answer to this question. That's why politicians are duking it out right now. Now, speaking of voluntarism, which I love, you know, I, I, I like a lot of things that people like Ron Paul and those libertarians. I like voluntarism. I like subsidiarity. I obviously love federalism, but to say that the government has no role in these huge questions. That, that is to cede our political right. That is to cede our ability for self-government to the left, which is going to use it. Look, we have been doing that. We've been conceding our political rights for a very long time, and the left has been taking them. Look at where it's gotten us. Not very far. But speaking of voluntarism, someone is voluntarily canceling himself. A beloved voice actor, Harry Shearer from The Simpsons, which is apparently still on air. It's surprising to me too, but it is. The Sim- I think The Simpsons is older than me, Slight, very slightly older than me. So Harry Shearer has been voicing uh, the role of Dr. Hibbert for years and years. And we're going on like 30 years now, but he's no longer going to do that because you see Harry Shearer is white. Dr. Hibbert is black. You probably didn't know that Harry Shearer is white because he's a voice actor and Dr. Hibbert is a cartoon. But we are now in the era that tells you that you cannot culturally appropriate. And so he's going to give up his 30-year voice, his voice job, and he's going to give it to uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, who I've never heard, who is a black voice actor. And now that's going to make things better because white people cannot appropriate anyone else's culture, but also white people need to be less white. Remember, that's what Robin D'Angelo said in that training that's associated with Coca-Cola. All those diversity, equity, inclusion, they tell you, you got to be less white, but also you can't appropriate anybody else's culture. So uh, (laughs) what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to stay perfectly still? 
Mm, I don't know. It seems kind of white to me. You haven't, your skin looks exactly the same. So you got to do better than that. What, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> it's a rigged game. It's a rigged request. It's not, not based in anything actionable or anything true, which we're seeing more and more these days. Uh, this, my favorite non-troversy from this comes from dear old Yale. The Yale Law Journal at Yale Law School is being accused of racism. Oh, what we have heard, if you've been paying attention to these sort of silly campus politics, is that black people are underrepresented on the Yale Law Journal masthead. A journal editor, Gavin Jackson, just resigned, saying he felt used and tokenized in his position. And so he's going to resign this racist organization, racist publication. So people took a look at the numbers. Turns out, turns out you're going to be shocked to hear this. Not only are uh, blacks and Hispanics not marginalized at the Yale Law Journal, they are admitted to this law journal at a higher rate than white people. The admissions rate for black students to the Yale Law Journal is 61%, much, much, much higher than that of any other ethnic The anti-racists wanted to show evidence of racism, and they, sh- they did show evidence of racism, racism against, apparently, white students. Now, I don't think that differing rates of admittance are, in and of themselves, evidence of racial bigotry or discrimination. They're very, very likely, maybe, but, but these guys certainly think they do. By the logic of these race hustlers at Yale Law School, the Yale Law Journal is racist, very racist against white students. Do you think this is now going to become a national news story? Uh, Probably not. Because when there is actual institutional systemic racism against white and Asian students in the form of, say, affirmative action policies, that is ignored. You won't even get a hearing. Remember those Chinese students? who were, I think, I forget if it was Chinese specifically or if it was a group of Asian students more broadly, sued Harvard for discrimination. Sorry, not, nope, not going to hear that one. The Department of Justice under Donald Trump was looking into racial discrimination on the same grounds at, at Yale. But whoops, sorry, Biden is now the president. We're not going to look into that anymore this kind of radical racial policy. It's not just affecting our nation's most prestigious universities. It's going down into elementary schools. Christopher Rufa, who covers these sorts of issues, specifically critical race theory at City Journal, is doing great stuff. He just got a scoop that Buffalo public schools are now, are now claiming, quote, all white people perpetuate systemic racism. They are now forcing kindergartners there, according to this report, to watch a video of dead black children warning them about racist police and state-sanctioned violence. Uh, he says that uh, he's got the whistleblower documents here. This is the sort of thing being, this is the narrative being foisted on students now. And it doesn't just start when you're a law school student. It starts when you're a little kid. And by the way, this does actually tie into the kind of Ron Paul vision of liberty and uh, libertarianism or whatever. We have, we, we have to make sense of our liberty. We do that through liberal education. And this has been true for millennia. Liberal education exists to teach us to tamp down our passions and our base desires and to pursue our, our higher 
ordered appetites and, you know, pursue our, our virtues and, and practice the virtues and make sense of our own freedom. This is why the left always goes after the kids. It's why they go after education broadly and, and they go after education really hard and why they go after younger and younger kids. Because if you can get to a kid when he's five years old, you have a much greater opportunity to shape his minds. This is why maybe some of you, when you were growing up, your parents said, hey, don't watch The Simpsons, or at least don't watch this, don't watch that. You can't watch that movie. That's why there's rating systems in movies, because we know that children absorb much more than adults do the content that is around them, and it helps shape the way that they think. That's why we're much more concerned about keeping kids away from obscene material than we are about keeping adults away, because when you're an adult, you're a little more formed it's going to have less of an, of an effect on you. Well, the left is now not just going after the adults or even the teenagers. They're all the way going after the kids with this sort of perverse policies, not just throwing the kids in cages, which Joe Biden's doing, but, but things that are actually much, much more dangerous. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. We'll just have to get to more tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Bory. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky, editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico, audio mixer, Mike Coromina, hair and makeup by Nika Geneva, and production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. A recent survey shows that the media has misled the public on the topic of police shootings. Dr. Fauci states that society will not be allowed to go back to normal until he says so. Biden's health secretary pick tries to dodge questions about his support for infanticide, and the leader of the Cherokee Nation demands that Jeep stop using his tribe's name. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show.